Kathy's Corner. You're listening to WPKN 89.5 FM and streaming online at WPKN.org. And now podcasts on um, are available on SoundCloud, WPKN Community Radio. So you can listen to the shows lots of different uh, from lots of different angles. I'm Kathy Connor hosting Kathy's Corner. That makes sense. And my show is part of a series where experts share their knowledge with you, the uh, WPKN listener. My show now airs the fifth Wednesday of the month. And uh, if you had listened in past years, I was on the third Wednesday of the month, but I have a little less time now. So I come on a couple times a year, which I'm always excited to do at the station. My expertise is consciousness. Consciousness is awareness, intelligence, waking, dreaming, sleeping. These are states of consciousness, and they're physiologically different from each other. We all know that. Subjectively, we know the difference, and objectively, they're measurable. Um, So we can experience waking state, and it can be measured. So there are different brainwave patterns, and blood chemistry is different. Respiration is different. We, We know that sometimes when our spouse is snoring. (laughs) So throughout the 24-hour cycle, we experience different states of consciousness as one state changes into the next. But it's always my pleasure to share with you more than 45 years of knowledge and experience in the field of consciousness and the knowledge how to unfold more of its value from within the mind. My uh, position outside of the station. (laughs) I'm the director of the Transcendental Meditation Program for Fairfield County, Connecticut. And TM, as we abbreviate, is a specific form of meditation that regularly and systematically provides the experience of the inner value of, of life, direct contact with finer fields of the mind in order to unfold qualities of a higher state of consciousness. It's like, you know, clearing the fog off the mirror or moving the clouds from the sun. So if you've heard the show before, you know that I always take a theme um, when I talk about consciousness. And the basic theme is to improve life from the inside out. Life moves in two modes, rest and activity. And we're all aware of the need for rest and activity. But the inner world we know best, the outer world not as well. I mean, the other way around. The outer we know really well. <laughs> the inner the inner is my job to explain that. So it's in the inner, in consciousness, at deeper values, where we find that deepest peace, inner peace, and best balance. And a balanced state is a healthy state of life. And in addition to taking care of the mind, which is usually what we discuss here, uh, we also discuss the body because we're a mind-body. And health care is a constant discussion in our country. It's often rife with disagreement as to the best way to offer it. And certainly, health has been on our minds this past year, for sure, probably a lot more than usual. And to take a deeper look into how the body can achieve a more balanced state, really the mind-body can achieve a more balanced state of health and well-being, We've often discussed the ancient science of Ayurveda, and I'm really excited and happy to tell you that today I have a very special guest who is one of the premier experts in Maharshi Ayurveda in the United States. Dr. Stuart Rothenberg is National Director, Medical Director of the Transcendental Meditation Health Professionals Association and Maharshi Ayurveda Association of America. A fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians, he was a Pulitzer Scholar at Columbia College in New York 
and received his MD degree from New York University School of Medicine, and he completed his postgraduate training in family medicine at the University of Rochester, New York. Dr. Rothenberg was one of the first physicians in the U.S. to be trained not only as a teacher of the TM technique, but also an expert in Ayurvedic medicine. He co-founded the first physician-directed Marshi Ayurveda Medical Centers in the United States, specializing in the treatment and prevention of chronic disease using an integrative mind-body approach that includes transcendental meditation. He has co-authored several published studies documenting the effects of these programs, and he has presented these findings at leading medical schools and research centers, both nationally and abroad. And over the last 25 years, Dr. Rothenberg has served as national director of postgraduate training programs in Marshi Ayurveda and has trained over 1,500 healthcare professionals in the U.S. and abroad. And most recently, he has directed training for healthcare professionals in integrative mind-body medicine and Ayurveda in collaboration with Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine in San Diego, the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, the University of Maryland Center for Integrative Medicine in Baltimore, and other academic centers. So we're very pleased with his great background that he can uh, explain more to us about this amazing science. So Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kathy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am very happy to hear from you because, we, as I said, we have spoken about Ayurveda in the past, but to have an expert discuss it with us, someone like of your caliber, we're very happy to hear your explanation. So maybe in the simplest terms, we can even just start with defining Ayurveda and uh, telling us a little bit more about its value in our search today for better health. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, so um, really my journey with Ayurveda, the reason I became interested in Ayurveda, and it goes back to my medical training, um, is my perception that while uh, I was getting uh, an excellent medical education, but an awful lot of disease and an awful lot of distress that my patients were coming to me with, I really wasn't able to make much of an impact on. And as I went into medical practice as a young family doctor, and I began to look at the statistics on this, I realized you know, every year they publish statistics, for example, like uh, how many people are suffering with chronic diseases and what is the budget, you know, the healthcare budget in the U.S. and things like that. It became clear that there's some missing knowledge that that we don't have, even doctors highly trained in conventional medicine. For example, recent uh, statistics released by the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, indicate that 50% of adult Americans are suffering from chronic disease. Oh, wow. At least chronic, one chronic disease, yes. Um, and that is now increasing at a rate of about one-half to one percent per year. And as on the, the, the finance side, chronic conditions are now accounting for eight, 86% of healthcare spending in the U.S., about eight, uh, sorry, $2.9 trillion annually. And what's also interesting is a recent article in Medical Economics said that about 75% of, of these dollars of our current healthcare spending is attributable to unhealthy lifestyle mm -hmm. behaviors. Which are all, you know, potentially modifiable. So, um, we love to think that we have the the most wonderful healthcare system in the world, but um, you know, the the evidence is that we're severely lacking. Oh wow, yeah, those are, some, yeah, those are some scary statistics. That means at least half of us adults have some chronic issue, and often, you know, we don't know how to address it to um, improve our health. We just kind of learn how to live with it. Exactly. Yeah, so there's a, there's a need for some new knowledge. And um, my interest um, turned to Ayurveda, which is not new knowledge. It's the most ancient knowledge of health on the planet. And, uh, but, you know, Kathy, when something has survived so long as Ayurveda, it's thousands of years old, 
uh, and is found to be applicable for modern healthcare, then you feel secure in at least applying those principles, mm-hmm. you know, in healthcare. And I found as I went along, and I, uh, you know, after my training in Ayurveda, I began using it more and more in my family practice. That it really, in a, in many significant ways, filled these gaps uh, in conventional, you know, medical care, particularly in this area of prevention and treatment of yeah. chronic diseases. Well, I'm sure that it's much more satisfying when you can use this modality in addition to the other modalities you have to use and that you can see real improvement because, you know, I have, as I mentioned, spoken about Ayurveda before. And my concern and reason I continue to do this show is because it's important for the listener, those of us out in the world living day to day, that we recognize there there are other things we can add to our routine to improve our quality of life. And those things tend to be, they tend to be of a subtler nature, but they're very powerful tools. And Ayurveda tends to run the gamut from the subtle to the gross. So it has lots of modalities that can be useful and practical in daily life. Right, exactly. And as you said so beautifully in your opening um, comments, it's really what we really are is a body-mind or mind-body system. And it's you know, kind of hard to, to say where one ends and the other begins. There's a, there's a continuum there. And Ayurveda has been aware of that and said that since time immemorial. So states of mind, states of emotion, issues like stress and so forth, play a huge role in our health. And on the other hand, the quality of the body, what we take into the body and so forth, what we expose the body to, has a huge effect on the quality of the mind, yeah. our moods, our, you know, our emotions, our quality of thinking. So it's, it's a two-way street and it's going on all the time. Yeah, and it's so important that we're addressing both angles because we're, we really want to have as best health as possible, not just to placate and get by. And we can see what's happening in our society today. And, and I'm hoping people are looking inward and deciding, well, what else can I do to improve the quality of my health so that I can enjoy a better quality of life? And that's really the theme of the show. And we mostly talk about the mind and consciousness, but like you said, they're so intimately connected where one, I like what you said, where one starts, the other begins. And, um, and it's hard to find that fine line. But one of the things I, I was hoping we could discuss for a few minutes is um, the profound uh, connection of Ayurveda to the mind and consciousness particularly, or the intelligence of nature. Because um, what I have been noticing the past number of years in uh, when I'm teaching the transcendental meditation technique to the public is many people are familiar now with Ayurveda. They've heard of it, they even have looked into it, and maybe some of them are even starting to practice some of the principles of it. But I want to make sure we're covering some more profound territory here because a lot of people are getting their knowledge from what I call magazine quizzes about one particular thing they've heard about are the doshas. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more to Ayurveda that we really want to start getting that information available to people that it's a profound science of health. And can you tell us a little bit more about um, those principles, the intelligence of nature, for example? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, so uh, intelligence of nature, that is a concept that I never would have heard in my medical school or postgraduate training. Um, Honestly, Kathy, if I had said something like the body has an inner intelligence, I would have been regarded, you know, as kind of a hippie or outlier. <laughs> of course, my, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a, a senior generation now, so this goes back a number of decades. Now things have changed a lot. There's a, a, a huge interest in what's called integrative medicine in the U.S., where half of U.S. medical schools are now including courses in integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. And major theme of integrative medicine is integration of mind and body. So this has really changed since the early days when I first you know, became interested. But um, as you said, the, the, the bedrock principle of Ayurveda is that the body does have an inner intelligence. And even though the body is physical, no question about it, but 
everything that makes the body work is is really at the most fundamental level. It's not physical. It's when we know this now from from modern physics that what appears to be physical particles, atoms, molecules, and so forth, ultimately are different patterns of vibration of quantum fields, different fields of fields of energy and matter. Ultimately, unified is Albert Einstein pointed to a, a underlying unified field from which all um, matter and energy emerge in terms of patterns of spin or uh, there's now the superstring theory and so forth, vibration, which then go on to uh, precipitate out or manifest as as material molecules. So Ayurveda was really onto something when thousands of years ago it said that the body is essentially not material and that it's made of intelligence or patterns of intelligence or patterns of consciousness. So now you mentioned the three doshas, and that's a very important bedrock principle of Ayurveda when as um, matter emerges from uh, intelligence, unmanifest non-physical intelligence, then it does so according to Ayurveda in three streams or in three modes, and these are the three doshas I can talk more about in a moment, vata, pitta, and kapha, but before, before leaving the field of intelligence, because it's so important, uh, and it's easy to gloss over it because it, it's, it's so abstract that it's, people very naturally want to go to, okay, vata, pitta, kapha, so interesting, and what we eat and so forth, which we can talk about. But um, if one is in contact with, on the mental, through the, through the mental side, through the mind, that field of consciousness within, that unified field, which is governing all the activity of the body, for example, through transcendental meditation, which I understand you t- you've talked about a lot on the show, then everything else that we do on the physical level to balance the three doshas, to eat properly, to create better immunity, to, you know, to live life more in sync with the natural rhythms of nature, to go to bed early, get up early, all those things that are recommended by Ayurveda work so much better. It's like if you're in, in transcendental meditation, we talk about transcending. Transcending means it's a technique that allows the individual to go beyond the excited, superficial, surface thinking level of the mind, the turbulent day-to-day thinking level, and go to more inner, more quiet and refined and serene levels of thinking, and ultimately transcending, going beyond even those, to that unified level within pure silence, pure, unmanifest, unified intelligence, that is that level that's at the basis of the mind-body system. If we're doing that, meditating, for example, with transcendental meditation, doing it regularly, then it's like plowing the field. It's plowing the field of the mind-body system. And when a field is plowed, or we could say plowed and fertilized, then everything we do on that field, we plant seeds, we throw seeds here and there, it's just going to sprout so much more beautifully and and robustly than if we hadn't first prepared the field. So, and I can tell you this from decades of primary care medical experience that this is, it's really true and there's quite a lot of research, over 400 peer-reviewed published studies on transcendental meditation alone showing a wide range of health benefits and improvements in chronic diseases that illustrate this point, that if we just do this one thing, then everything else that we do on a physical level or whatever it may be is just going to work much better Mm -hmm. because it's like we're plowing the underlying field. Well, that's beautiful because that's pretty much what we talk about on the show is that the inner supports the outer. And to enliven that intelligence of the physiology, which seems to be at the heart of Ayurveda, and then the modalities, they work together, but without the plowing the field or the foundation, that's probably not as effective. Exactly. And also, you know, this is lifestyle medicine. A lot of Ayurveda is lifestyle medicine. So when I see a patient uh, and say they're overweight or obese or they have you know, heart disease or diabetes or any one of a number of the chronic disorders that are so prevalent these days, um, then I want them to change. Almost always they're doing something quote-unquote wrong in terms of balanced life, lifestyle. 
living in harmony with, 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 with the cycles of nature. But when, if they do the one thing, which is to learn to meditate, and I generally recommend Transcendental Meditation because of the research behind it and my own personal experience with it, um, it's just easier for them to implement these changes. Mm-hmm. I, for example, I had, in my very early years, a young physician just out of training, um, one of my first patients had a smoking problem, was smoking a lot, and, um, you know, uh, that's obvious. You don't have to study Ayurveda to know everyone knows that's bad for your health. It's one of the worst risk factors for cancer, for heart disease, and so forth. Um, but I tried to get him to stop, of course, using conventional, you know, counseling and, and inspiration, all that, um, smoking cessation programs. No, it didn't work. I recommended Transcendental Meditation, and I've never taught my own patients TM, although I'm qualified as a teacher. Um, I always refer them to the local um, teacher because I want to keep the two, my two roles separate. When he learned Transcendental Meditation, um, I didn't even know when he finally did, when I recommended He came back to me maybe, uh, the next time I saw him was uh, nine months, a year later, and um, I said, okay, I'm going through a checklist. So how are you doing with your smoking? Smoking, he said. Smoking, he said. Well, I gave that up. He said, you recommended I learn transcendental meditation. I did that, he said, and I gave that up within weeks. He said, what happened was I forgot to take, after about three weeks of meditating, I found myself at work and I had forgotten to bring my cigarettes and I went into a minor panic and then I said to myself, no, you can do this, he said, and I never looked back. He said, Uh I, I didn't miss it. I didn't crave it anymore, and I feel so much better, and this had been, you know, for many months now. And that was a signal to me as a young doctor that this is something really powerful, that it helps people to gain that. You can use the word willpower when you come to this lifestyle medicine area where you want people to make these changes. Willpower, yeah, it's a useful term. But it's honestly when the person is meditating, especially with TM, it's not really willpower. It's, it's, it's discipline. It's definitely a kind of a discipline, but it's a kind of a joy that's experienced. It's so much easier for them to relinquish these health-damaging habits and take on yeah. the more health-supporting health habits. Well, you know, it's interesting you're using that example because I have also seen the similar thing, and uh, very quickly I had a story years back where a gentleman came and said to me, uh, I want to stop smoking and so I'm going to do TM to stop smoking and I said no don't do that just start meditating (laughs) let's see what happens and he did but he it happened so naturally because nobody was telling him to but he just came back one day and said yeah I didn't like it anymore just (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't doing it for me and I think you know when you were saying what your story I was thinking you know a lot of what happens in that transcendental field is the mind becomes more expanded and and there's less boundary and so when it comes back into the boundaries of life there's more flexibility and so you make different decisions and those decisions tend to be more in line with what's good for you because now you're starting to feel good and who doesn't want to do things that continue that so it's really so related it's interesting that we're talking about it in this regard because it's very related to our health is starting from that depth of consciousness yeah and there and there's a lot of science behind that what you said it's the reason well and the reason but that experience of unbounded awareness during tm which is which is very joyful experience when you come out of meditation you feel you honestly do have more degrees of freedom it's like the mind just got a bath stress has been washed away with each session of of transcendental meditation uh, you know it's practice at 20 minutes uh, twice a day adults do it 20 minutes twice a day each session is like just a mental bath a lot of stress is released and eliminated so when we come out um, we do have more freedom to make choices and to get to change our old habits and the reason for that and the research has shown during the 20 minutes of TM during that session the brain function becomes very orderly this is called brain coherence or EEG coherence and this has been shown through brainwave studies or EEG studies that during TM the brain goes into a state of high what's called high coherence where different parts of the brain are communicating with each other that previously weren't 
and they're producing the same brain signal, the same frequency and phase relationship of the EEG signal. So when you come out of meditation, there are different connections that have been made, and suddenly things that seem very problematic to you and difficult to change become much easier. Mm -hmm. And also you see much more clearly why they're bad for you. You feel it. That's why my patient, for example, and the one you just mentioned, it was almost a spontaneous thing and that he said, I never look back because it became distasteful for him because his brain was different. Right, yeah. His brain was hooked up better and he was seeing things more clearly. And I've seen that in other things, you know, with alcohol consumption and other behaviors that may be unhealthy that uh, people come and tell me that, oh, yeah, this just dropped off. Um, yeah. So it's, you know... Um, I want to start moving into the more details. Um, um, Ayurveda is an interesting science, and rather than treat the body as a collection of cells, tissues, and organs, it does treat the body from its source. So I'm glad we established that because, as again I said earlier, that it's important to understand the profound science of Ayurveda which includes the mind, and as we've been saying, transcending is very helpful for improving health. Um, the emphasis, generally, of Ayurveda is on prevention and longevity, and it has numerous modalities that help us treat imbalances. So um, can you tell us, you, you said you were going to talk to us a little bit about the doshas. Um, can you tell us a little bit about them now? Because that tends to be that one part of Ayurveda that is out there that people do know about. Right. Right, yeah, yeah, and it's very interesting, and it's uh, yeah. So, uh, so as I, I mentioned in Ayurvedic theory, the underlying field, which is intelligence, which is abstract and not material, but manifests as material structure, and and similar to the way quantum physics describes the emergence of the physical universe. Um, According to Ayurveda, it emerges, and this is the body as well as all of nature, in three streams or three modes. Uh, and these are called in Ayurveda the three doshas, uh, and they have, a, they have names. Uh, the three doshas are vata, that's spelled with a V as in Victor, vata, pitta, with a P as in Peter, and kapha, spelled with a K. So vata, pitta, and kapha are the three doshas, and the three doshas are, in Ayurveda, considered to be the three basic governing principles or governing entities or energies, there are different words you could use, to that, that govern the body, the functioning of the body. And the, one of the most important core principles of Ayurveda is that the doshas should be balanced that what we want to achieve in our life for our health is balance of these three because when they're balanced then they create good health in their balanced state they unlock the body's ability for self-healing and self-repair but when they're out of balance they obstruct the body's ability for self-healing and self-repair and I'll just read to you this lovely quote from the most ancient of the Ayurvedic texts Ayurveda has the most ancient texts of medicine on the planet. They go back 3,000 years. This is from the Charaka Sanhita, the oldest one. It says, doshas are three, vata, pitta, and kapha. In their balanced state, they maintain the body. When imbalanced, they afflict the body with imbalances and diseases. So we always want to, to strike a balance between these three, among these three. So, okay, so what are uh, these three, um, vata, dosha, is the principle of movement and transport. Vata governs all movement in the body, indeed in nature. Uh, vata has constituent elements, according to Ayurveda theory. There are five basic elements in nature, and that sounds, people think, oh yeah, like earth, water, fire, and air. Yes and Ayurveda adds space. So it sounds kind of medieval, but actually, this is very advanced knowledge. It runs parallel to some of the most cutting-edge findings of, of modern quantum field theory, which talks about how the underlying field first manifests or manifests as five spin types, five quantum spin types. When you look at that 
literature and physics, the descriptions of those five quantum spin types are very similar to the way Ayurveda describes the five underlying elements of space, air, fire, water, and earth. Well, Vata Dosha is a combination of space and air elements. So if you think about space and air, what would that be like? Space and air together gives rise to qualities like this, and these are the qualities of Vata. It's, vata is moving, it's quick, it's light, it's cold, and it's dry. So those are, the, those are the qualities of vata. And when vata is very active in the body, then, it, then the body runs in that direction. Things that move tend to move quickly. Uh, body weight is light, tend to be cold, and, uh, and, and uh, very sensitive to cold. We tend towards dryness, dry skin, dryness internally, like constipation and so forth. Pitta, dosha, the, is the underlying principle that governs digestion and metabolism. And the constituent elements of pitta are fire, predominantly fire. Pitta is a fiery dosha, but also water. So I think of fire water or acid or something like that. And the qualities of pitta are it's sharp, it's hot, it's acidic, and it's intense. So when pitta is very active in the mind-body system, then the personality can become sharp and irritable. person experiences a lot of internal heat and, and heat intolerance, get hot very easily. And digestion can be great, but if pitta goes, gets too much, then digestion gets too intense and you get acid indigestion and hyperacidity, gastritis, acid reflux ulcers, things like that. And pitta is also intense. There's a kind of intensity. So you always want pitta to be modulated. You want all three of these doshas to be modulated, which brings out and balance with each other. It brings out all their great qualities, their positive qualities, but not their exaggerated qualities. And then finally, kapha dosha is the principle that underlies all structure and fluid balance in the body. And the constituent elements of kapha dosha are water and earth. So this is the heaviest of the three. And it also has a, 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 a watery as well as an earthy quality. So its qualities are it's heavy, it's oily, it's slow, it's cold, steady, and soft. So kapha dosha is, if you think about it, it's almost the opposite of vata dosha. It's not surprising, except for one thing. Both vata and kapha dosha are cold. They have no inherent heat. Only pitta dosha has the inherent heat. So with the exception of that one shared common property, vata and kapha are very opposite. Vata very light, quick and moving. Kapha very heavy, slow, and steady. Like that. I can go on, but uh, go into body types and things like that, but do you do you want to make any comments? Yeah, no, this is a very thorough understanding. And, and this is the point why I wanted you to tell us more. Because when you just see a quiz and you click something like, oh, that's me. But there's a more profound understanding here. But we can start to relate to these qualities, maybe naturally, or maybe something's out of balance. And, and I have too much cold or too much heat, or I have too much... Uh, <laughs> fluid or you know there's lots of things so yes please continue to tell us more about that and um, explain how that how we can even benefit from even today's knowledge great yes so um, there's two things uh, about the doshas that are important to know I mean as many things but two especially there is everybody has their own natural state of balance individual personalized state of balance and that's called, the in Ayurveda, it's called the prakriti or the nature of the person. It's, it's come to be called the body type, but it's really a mind-body type. And everybody has a mind-body type according to Ayurveda. And there are basically 10 categories, 10 basic categories that everyone fits into, one or the other. And depending what is your prakriti, your Ayurvedic type, um, that determines an awful lot about what you need to be balanced and healthy. It determines an awful lot about the diet that's best for you to eat, about the kinds of things you 
to expose yourself to and the kinds of things you want to avoid, uh, the kinds of exercise you should do, whether high intensity or more moderate or, or mild, um, uh, lifestyle issues like uh, when to get up, when to go to bed, when to eat your main meal, all these things. So, um, so this is a huge topic, and I will, you know, before we end, recommend some resources where people can learn more about the science. Um, but basically, it starts with the vata, pitta, and kapha types. So three of these ten are what's called the pure body types or monodoshic, single doshic types. Because if, even though all of us need and have all three doshas, we need them to live and for the body to function, there are some people where one or the other dosha is so, so much more active and predominant, they appear to be almost like that's all they're made of. So even though the others are there, they're like eclipsed. So the pure vata type or monodoshic vata type, that person in general is very is light, uh, low body weight, um, and that's that's okay. That's by nature. But they have a tendency to get to lose too much weight, and they have to be careful of that. They tend to be mentally very alert and quick. But if vata gets too much, and and this is a vulnerability for them. Their mind gets too quick, too too um, too um, tumultuous, and they are prone to anxiety, mm-hmm. anxiety and mood disorders and things like that. Insomnia is a common problem for vata mm-hmm. types, and vatas are often life of the party, very lively by nature. They're very enthusiastic by nature. When you sit with a vata, they often move because that, that internal movement of vata keeps them moving. They'll be, you know, they'll be, they'll be facial expressions. They're very expressive. They they're, use their hands when they talk. They might, you know, be tapping their knee. That's all, you know, great. But it can go too much, out of balance, and you can get movement disorders. And a lot of the neurological disorders are vata disorders, things like the, you know, Parkinson's disease and so forth are, you know, are diseases of excess vata. Now, so that's the vata type. The pitta type, as you can imagine, their main um, quality that they exhibit is heat. So when that's balanced, it's great. They, they're they very warm by nature. They're very charismatic. They they can be very magnetic. Of course, you would want to be with them because of that warmth uh, when it's balanced. Uh, and when they're balanced, they make great uh, leaders because they're, they're kind of fearless, picture types, when they're balanced. They uh, have a lot of... Uh, of uh, a very strong digestion, and they generally have very strong constitutions because of the pitta, and uh, so they, they they actually enjoy taking risks, and they make very good entrepreneurs and CEOs and politicians, and they're also generally very good public speakers. This is the the pure pitta type. However, <laughs> when the pitta gets out of balance, and out of balance generally means too much. Uh, then that warmth of personality becomes heat. They become irritable and angry and aggressive. Um, they, they, you know, they can suffer from heat intolerance and all kinds of inflammatory disorders. Those are the pitta dis- disorders of the inflammatory skin rashes, you know, skin disorders, uh, internal inflammations, colitis, uh, you know, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, migraine headaches, all the different things that have their ultimate source in inflammation. Uh, are generally pitta disorders. And then the kapha type, and kaphas are, are moderate in weight, generally middle in weight. And the kapha type, by nature, is heavier. Heavier means they're more full-framed, they have larger frames, and they're going to be more on the heavy side of the normal height-weight chart, you know, the, the, body, the BMI, uh, body mass index. They'll be more on the heavy side, but not shouldn't be over the limit, but they'll always be more like that. But these are people by nature who have, um, they're very solid and they feel grounded because of all the earth in the kapha. It makes them very patient and calm and forbearing. And, and kapha type is the kind of person you want with you in an emergency because they stay calm. They're very methodical. They tend to just walk through problems and solve them in a very methodical way. I mean, you'd like them to have a little bit of pitting, vata, two, seven, move. But, um, 
but they are they by nature they're very calm and calming but they have to watch out of course for obesity overweight and obesity because they can if that kapha goes out of balance they can slip into that fairly easily and disorders like diabetes for example is definitely a you know a uh, a kapha kind of disorder and uh, there are seven other body types but they're all combinations of the two there are six bidoshic types, vata pitta, pitta vata, pitta kapha, etc. And then there's one tridosic type, vata pitta kapha. Those are the folks, and they are relatively rare, but those are the folks who by nature have about equal amount of activity of all three doshas. But in order to achieve health, each of us as an individual, our goal is to create balance in tune with our constitutional type, not somebody else's. Yeah. And that's very important to, for people to know. Yeah, that, and I, I agree, and that's why we like to talk about it, because, you know, you don't want to self-diagnose because you took a little quiz, although I'll give you some information for sure. But experts like yourself, you know, it goes to a much deeper level, and Ayurveda addresses, they're not saying, oh, this is what you are. They'll figure that out, but... They're more interested in what's out of balance so that you can be more balanced. And so most of the lifestyle things that you were mentioning earlier, they are to balance out something that might be off, like the vata's too much, so we're going to calm that down, or the, the cough is too much, so we want to do things to mitigate that. So that's when you, when you see an expert in Ayurveda, and they would give you those recommendations. Yes. Exactly. And, um, and I will mention, uh, and let me know when we're running out of time, so I, I, uh, there's a website, uh, a lovely website at university, a website where people can learn more and take courses um, and gain more knowledge about Ayurveda. Um, I do want to mention uh, some of the most important recommendations. Because uh, I'm speaking here to a general audience and we don't know, um, people generally won't know their Ayurvedic type uh, until they learn more about it. Um, but there are an awful lot of of um, recommendations that are universal for everybody, and I just want to share some of them. Diet is so important because the body is created out of the foods we eat, and as I mentioned, food um, affects our moods. Our uh, if it's in harmony with with um, with the cycles of nature, with with the way the body functions, then it's going to create a, a bright, happy mood as well. So one thing Ayurveda recommends is eating fresh foods freshly prepared. According to Ayurveda, when food is fresh and freshly prepared, it has a quality in which is called prana. People may have heard that word or sattva, which means brightness. It creates brightness of mood, happiness, as well as good health. On the other hand, when food is old, leftovers or, or highly processed food that's been sitting in a package and then you eat that food that food is called tamasic it means dark it's sleepy food it doesn't have that life energy that fresh food freshly repaired has and that will tend to create less happy states of mind more anxiety nervousness worry depression things like that and also physical issues overweight you know and dysregulation of the body's natural healing processes. So fresh food, freshly prepared. I know people may think a lot of people's lifestyle revolves around leftovers, but I can talk a lot about this and then we don't have time how to uh, change that so you can move more in this direction anyway, if not 100%. And, uh, and some of this, a lot of this actually is in um, the courses on the, that I'll mention. Um, uh, favor whole foods rather than highly refined foods. I'm sure a lot of the viewers know that already. Uh, here's one from Ayurveda that's kind of uh, new to most Americans. Uh, avoid cold foods and be beverages. Now, okay, wow, does that mean ice cream? Let me put ice cream <laughs> on the side. Because <laughs> um, the answer is, you know, it, it is, also we, we want to be reasonable and happy and so forth. And there's, there's habits that we've established that are longstanding. And also there are times of the year, like summer, where cold foods can be fine. But in general, the problem with cold, especially cold beverages, ice cold beverages, is they do tend to put out 
the digestive fire, what's called the digestive fire in Ayurveda. In Western terms, it's just the enzymes, the enzymes and acids that create digestion that are designed by nature to function at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And so you put down a you know ice cold beverage with the ice floating in it, it just at a temperature of about 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a huge differential. That's just going to disrupt the enzymes uh-huh. functioning. And so that's um, so that's an, an analog for understand why Ayurveda has recommended from time immemorial avoiding cold foods and beverages. Um, Kathy, I'm going to stop because I don't know how much how much time we have left. And, uh, whether <laughs> well, I'm should, uh, I'm absorbed in your um, discourse because it's so valuable. But we have about. A uh, little more than about five minutes or so, so uh, give or take. If if you can give us that information, how we can find out more too, because at five of we get put off automatically. So I don't want to be cut off. I want to be able to respectfully end the show. So Let we have see, yeah. about we have about seven minutes or so. Okay, great. Let me do that. Um, uh, one thing I do want to share, uh, or two things before I go there, is uh, a couple of behaviors in terms of eating that will help promote good digestion, because Ayurveda feels that digestion, the power of our, our digestion is equally as important to the food that we eat, because if we don't have good digestion, you could be eating the most wonderful food, but if, if the digestion is poor, you won't be able to extract, the body won't be able to extract the nutrition from that food. So it's very important that digestion be healthy as well. A lot of Ayurveda is um, for improving our digestion. So a couple of points. Try to have regular meal times. Eat breakfast, lunch, and supper around the same time every day. By having regular meal times rather than helter-skelter, it cultures in the body good, balanced digestion. Also, try to avoid rushing meals and sit down to eat. This allows the enzymes to work properly. Give enough time for your, especially your lunch meal, which I'm going to mention in a moment is so important. Don't eat on the run. Um, And then um, the last point about lunch, according to Ayurveda, digestion is sharpest and most keen at the height of the day. This is the height of pitta during the day, about noontime, or now we're on daylight savings time, about 1 p.m. Somewhere around that, you should have your main meal because at that time of day, because pitta is so strong, digestion is so strong, you can eat a much larger quantity of food, take it in and get nourishment from it, and not create toxicity from it, not create obesity, and all kinds of issues that come from poor digestion, which leads to various forms of toxicity. This is another principle in Ayurveda. So try to make lunch a very healthy meal, the main meal of your day, and have dinner a, a bit lighter. And uh, there's a lot of strategies for helping people to do that um, on the, in the courses, and now so I'll direct people there. Um, so the best resource that I know of uh, for this information is the Marshi International University website, and this is miu.edu. So MIU, Marshi International University, is our university, fully accredited university. It's based in Iowa, uh, and it's a a full credit university offering degree programs through doctoral programs. And they have um, a program at all levels on Ayurveda and integrative health, and a very nice um, distance learning program, which is there's degree programs that people may want to take advantage of, but there's also a, a host of non-degree, uh, just online, very, very, very nice programs about Ayurveda, and a number of them are free of charge. Uh, some of them, they do have a small tuition fee. If you go on that website, miu.edu, uh, and you click where it says continuing education or online learning, that will bring you to uh, to those 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 courses and those sites. Well, I, I think we're, we're definitely getting the understanding is there's a lot to understand. And it would be nice if you took a proper training course, even if it's a, at a beginner level, just to get some of these principles, because even these few things you've mentioned, 
And as you said, they're, they're a change for a lot of people. No leftovers, for example, and um, less ice in the glass, that kind of thing, or no ice in cases. So these are like some changes to make, but once you start doing it and you see that there's the digestion is more efficient and it's better and you feel better and lighter, it's not really a hardship. It does take a little bit of uh, attention to make a few of these. And these are just a few. And as we were discussing about the doshas, there would be some more specific recommendations based on what that person's physiology would require. So we are, um, we've got a minute or two left. I, I want to thank you, Stuart, for your knowledge. And clearly, you know a lot. You've done a lot in this field for a very long time. One of the things that you've been doing lately, and unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to discuss it, but uh, you have been overseeing a project to bring the TM technique to healthcare professionals across the country. And uh, I'm involved in one of those projects here in our little local area and I'm having some really wonderful experiences with it. The people are enjoying it. There, I taught one person who's an ER doctor um, and she just uh, has been enjoying the, pro- the, the, the something. She said, just sitting down to close my eyes. She said, my job's stressful anyway. And with this past year, it is intensely stressful. So just to have an opportunity to to balance the physiology and be less tired and more clear. And so I want to thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show today. And um, we have about 30 seconds for our final comments. Do you have anything you want to say to our listeners? No, I just, uh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Kathy. And uh, I appreciate what you said about that program. Uh, It's called Heal the Healers Now through the generosity of donors and corporations across the country. We've been able to offer instruction in transcendental meditation free of charge to frontline healthcare providers in hospitals and medical centers around the country. And very happy that you've been able to do that locally in southwestern Connecticut. We have six major studies going on now on the uh, at some top universities, and the initial results are really dramatic with these frontline providers, 70% reductions of in uh, anxiety, 60% in sleep disorders, after just a matter of about one month of practicing transcendental meditation. So, so fulfilling to be able to bring this to our very deserving frontline healthcare workers. Well, thank you for all that you do and to bring this knowledge out to, to our society. So we're going to bow out now. And thank you, Stuart. And for those interested in more information on Ayurveda, miu.edu. And uh, I wish you all well, deep peace and happiness, and I'll see you in June.